your host, Andy Whiteside, your source for all things VMware and user compute. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode three of On the Horizon. I'm your host, Andy Whiteside. I've got with me Scott March, uh, partner, channel, sales engineer extraordinaire. Scott, how's it going? Hey, doing great. Thanks. So you and I uh, decided about an hour ago that um, we didn't have a guest for today, but we would take a blog that we found interesting and we would cover it. Uh, and so what we're covering is a, a blog from April uh, 13th, 2020, uh, titled VMware Horizon Cloud on Microsoft Azure Scaling for Remote Work, uh, written by um, Jeff McGrath. Uh, do you know Jeff? I don't, but uh, definitely know the group he works for. And, uh, you know, it's, there's an awful lot of exciting things coming to that group on this side. So fun to see yeah I'm, I'm curious to talk through um uh, horizon cloud on azure because I'm, I'm i'm a little clueless as to how it works but uh, hopefully you're going to help straighten me out on that and i know this is a topic that that you find very interesting kind of near and dear to your heart so i thought it would be a good one for us to to ad hoc cover fantastic so um it looks like this has been out for about five months now right the uh, horizon cloud on azure offering horizon cloud on azure offering uh, the Horizon Cloud and Azure offerings actually been out for almost a year. Okay. Um, but the most exciting things happened in the last six months, and that's really where it's matured to, uh, you know, include all the other various components like app volumes and dynamic environment manager. And uh, Microsoft is opening it up with uh, their uh, Windows 10 WVD multi-session VMs. So that's, uh, you know, it's been my life the last six months. It's basically all I do now. And super, super exciting. A lot of really interesting uh, capabilities that, that put it in the forefront on our side from the Horizon stacks, at least. So it's good stuff. So help me understand, this is um, Horizon Cloud, but just for Microsoft Azure, or does it integrate other clouds? Can it be used on-prem at the same time? Tell, tell me what this product really is well that's a really good question so it's so it's native azure so it's it's bring your own infrastructure so you do need an azure infrastructure in order to make this work uh the way it actually works is uh we supply the horizon cloud component of the horizon uh connection broker and uh, the customer will supply the uh azure tenant to install it in right so once that's said and done, uh, we literally go into the Horizon Cloud control plane. Uh, we put in the information for the tenant. Uh, there's some pre-work that needs to be done. And uh, in about two or three hours, they have a workable system. And that working system can support up to about 2,000 virtual desktops or RDS apps, uh, depending on what they're looking at doing. And, um, you know, it's, it's a fantastic solution. It's, a, you know, one of the key things there, which, which really make it, different than some of our solution, other solutions is the fact that uh, it's got a fantastic power management uh, capabilities. So the Azure consumption costs are fairly low. And uh, again, you can leverage the uh, multi-session Windows 10 VMs, which uh, you know, right now the only place they're available is Azure. So it's again, uh, between just a, just those two things, it's, it's you know, a great platform. So, so that, that was actually going to be my question around server-based desktops, but I guess if you have Windows 10 multi-session server desktops are kind of irrelevant, right? Uh, no, I mean, we still, there still definitely is a purpose for them. Uh, I mean, but what we're seeing is, uh, you know, way back when, and Microsoft got a little bit better at it, but we're able to literally publish uh, Windows 10 multi-session uh, virtual machine just as another template, right? So it takes this 
literally minutes to do that. Uh, at the same time, uh, so, you know, WVD has some of the same challenges that RDS had uh, as far as the more users you have on those virtual machines, the slower they get. But from a cost perspective, you're not paying for CALs. And, uh, you know, you can put anywhere between 10 to 20 users per Windows virtual desktop. Uh, so that drives down your cost considerably as well for your Azure consumption. Uh, so, yeah, you are saving on uh, those RDS CALs. Uh, but there's still uses. There's still use cases for the, you know, those persistent desktops as well. I don't think we'll see those go away for a long time. But um, the key thing here is choice, right? You're able to pick and choose what you need. If you want a WVD desktop or Windows multi-session, you can do that. Uh, if you want a regular desktop, you can do it as well. So it really gives you that option to pick and choose, and at the same time, lower that Azure consumption cost. And, and Scott, is this a product that's limited to Azure only, or can you tie it into your other locations and other clouds? Well, I think that's the one exciting thing about Horizon right now is we have that Horizon Cloud Control Plane, which allows us to literally grab environments, uh, either you know Horizon on-prem, which is uh, currently Horizon 2006. Uh, you can be Horizon Cloud on AWS, Horizon Cloud on Google, Horizon Cloud on Azure. We just uh, announced Oracle. Uh, so all these various different cloud uh, platforms can literally plug into that control plane and we're able to manage them and literally broker them from that single source. So when that user logs in, uh, if they're entitled to those various different clouds, they're going to see those desktops. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a true hybrid multi-cloud solution, which is, uh, I think, what really makes it exciting. Uh, the user or the administrator now can have a very simple and easy way to get that multi-cloud environment up and running. And the user doesn't know. They don't care where their desktop is coming from. All they know is they're getting that good end user experience. Right. So the article talks about uh, some of the ways that's been used during the pandemic to scale up kind of rapidly. And it talks about, I think, maybe a, maybe an insurance company here that was able to scale up rap- rapidly using Horizon Cloud and Horizon Cloud on Azure. Do you know uh, anything about that one or any other customers that have seen a similar type of experience? Yeah, no, that was an exciting story. So they had a, a challenge where basically all their uh, workers were working out of these, you know, insurance agents all over the all over the country, right? So they're they're mobile. They had uh, I don't remember the the exact number of insurance agent locations, but it was in the thousands. And uh, when the pandemic came, they all were working from home, so they needed a way to quickly get off those company PCs and thin clients and connect to you know, a desktop that would do their job. And uh, so that was a challenge, but they also needed up and, you know, up and running yesterday. So they called us, we're like, how quick can we do this? And we're like, oh, okay, let's find out. And 35,000 desktops in five days, uh, you know, we did it. Uh, You know, it was a long five days nonetheless, but uh, it actually happened. And that's what we're seeing all over the place. I mean, we just did, I did another, a uh, music venue in New York City, uh, 200 seats in two days. They literally called us up and we were able to get them up and running uh, with their desktops, not with generic desktops, up and running literally in two days. So that's the stories that you're seeing. Uh, these are some of the things that we can actually do uh, you know, with this because of the ability to bring up that elastic workload, whether it's two VMs or 20,000 VMs, we have the capacity to bring those up and do it quickly. 
Yeah, that's, that's kind of the promise of the cloud elasticity. I think in the beginning, we really didn't think about that in terms of, you know, desktops and end users, but probably makes more sense there, especially in a situation like this where you, you need it and you need it now. Yeah, no, exactly. And, uh, you know, it's that ability to, you know, roll it out, but also more importantly, at the end of the day, when this is all said and done, and hopefully COVID will be over fairly soon, who no one knows, but we're able to actually bring that workload back down to where it needs to be too. So you got that elastic ability to control that workload for what you need. So in six months, if you're not using those desktops, well, that's great. Just literally power them down and turn them off and you're good to go. So uh, I think that's also the exciting part and also the ability to, you know, have that hybrid experience too, where, you know, when this is all said and done, I can move that intellectual property back to my on-prem environment in a seamless way. So I'm not losing anything. Timing is important, almost like the timing of me driving my old convertible into the office just now to record this podcast. And of course, the rain showed up right in the middle of the podcast. Oh, no. (laughs) All right. So um, let's talk about some of the guidance for scaling in Azure. Um, The article talks about some best practice. It also talks about just some general guidance here. Do you want to cover some of the things you've seen people do to try to get the most out of those workloads in in a public cloud like this? Yeah, sure. And there's there's some gotchas here I want to make sure you're familiar with, too. Now, I mean, best practices definitely rely here as well. There's some common sense things that we learned on-prem that we need to you know understand here. And that's basically knowing you know, what our workload is and how it works and what it does and grabbing that and then scaling it accordingly in, in Azure. Now, a couple of important things that you got to see here, uh, it really depends on workload as well, right? So if you're looking here, you got, uh, and, and, and as you highlighted there, log on BSI definitely can help us understand that workload. But once we do that, now we need to pick the right size VMs in Azure, and that really will drive your Azure consumption costs. So you're going to be careful which ones you choose. Now, if you're using Windows 10 multi-session or WVD, that might, you know, require a larger VM, like, you know, a, a, you know, a D-series, but one of the larger D-series, like a D16 V3. And, and the neat thing about that is, is you can get, if you, know, you can get 15, 16 users on that, that might actually drive your cost down. But the thing you don't want to do, and you got to be careful with this, is you can choose VMs that literally will cost you up to $600 a month on the Azure environment. So bigger isn't always better. And so you need to actually pick the right size VMs and make sure that you understand the cost structures while you're doing that. Uh, And that's really gonna drive the solution. But uh, again, the good thing is, is you have the choice in Azure to choose almost any size virtual machine that you want. You also have the choice to choose what disk structures you want. So do you want SSD or do you want spinning disk? And that will affect your workload too. Now, if you have users that require you know, that, that fast high-end experience, then SSD probably makes sense. But if these are utility VMs that are barely being used, then why spend the extra money? So again, size it to what your actual workload does and make sure that you are careful uh, when you're choosing those VM sizes within Azure. So Scott, one of the workloads that we find hard to chase is something like a browser, like a Chrome browser where you know, users aren't using it one minute and uh, next thing you know, they've got 15 tabs open. Has that been a challenge for any of these customers? Uh, it can be, yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, the key thing here is Azure consumption, and that's really what it comes down to. Uh, you know, you're going to get charged for cycles that you're using. Uh, the neat thing about Azure is you can have, you know, 100 VMs in there, and, and as long as they're not powered on and, and consuming cycles, you're not really getting charged for those. Well, I shouldn't say you, you are getting charged, but not 
for, for the uh, consumption. Uh, you can control uh, power management on that. So you can actually shut these VMs down uh, when they're not being used. You, and, and again, this uh, Azure is one of the best power management uh, setups on the market. Uh, and we're leveraging that. We actually extended it. Um, you can also uh, do calendar uh, power, power on some power downs as well. Uh, so there's an awful lot of things that you can do in there to really drive, try to drive that cost down. So, uh, but you do need to actually pay attention to workload. Uh, if you're, you know, one of the options is to have zero set for your your, applica- your uh, application pool size. And what that will do is if you're not leveraging those VMs, it'll literally turn them all off and, uh, you know, save you that uh, money in Azure consumptions. And as those users log in again, what they're gonna do is they'll get a message saying it'll take 12 minutes for that. VM to power on, and then that machine will come on, and they'll be able to use it, do what they need to do, and and they're good to go. Now that doesn't fit all use cases because it might not fit your recovery, you know, time objective or whatever that requirement is. But it's options that you do have within the stack that are pretty exciting and allow you to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think in the blog here, Jeff calls out, you know, increased support monitoring and admin capabilities, power management, avoiding yeah. third-party user environment management platforms that may not add value, and and then productivity and user experience improvements. Uh, probably lots of things that can be done just in the user workflow to be more conservative. But you know, and you don't really think about those when everybody has a PC, but when it's you know being measured, <laughs> running in in a cloud somewhere, all of a sudden. All that matters. Yeah, I mean, it's very true. And the key thing is, again, you need to understand, uh, you know, what what's there. And certain things are definitely the same, both on-prem and in the cloud, but there are other things that aren't. And, and those are things that, you know, you know, like the third-party uh, part that you were discussing up there, uh, unless you require it, uh, this you know the suggested best practice is to pretty much stay with what Azure and and you know or Microsoft and VMware has to offer, and definitely you know look at what's supported and what's not because there's just certain things that won't work well. Uh, so you need to be careful with that kind of stuff. But you've got these companies we've talked about here. Do you do you foresee them moving this stuff into the cloud during the pandemic and then moving it? back into their data center or building on infrastructure? Or do you think once they're there, they're there for good? You know, I think an awful lot of companies are starting to look at cloud as a safe place to be. And not just because of cost. I mean, cost is definitely, uh, depending on what your workload is, it might cost you less. Some cases it actually costs you more, by the way. But what it does give you is the ability to, number one, not worry about that workload because, well, in this case, Azure is taking care of that SLA for you. Uh, and the other thing is, again, is that ability to actually expand and contract in an elastic way. Uh, you know, we talk to a lot of businesses that just don't want to be in the hardware business anymore. And this really definitely woke them up because, you know, you, you take, you know, that insurance company, they don't get paid to build servers. They get paid to sell insurance plans. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, they needed desktops quickly. And, you know, they looked at on-prem, but the problem is they didn't have feet on the ground. Right. So the answer for them was to go to Azure. And now it's going to be interesting to see whether they go back or not, because, yeah, it works. It's secure. It does. It fits all those little checkboxes that, you know, maybe four or five years ago it didn't. But, um, it, yeah, I mean, we're seeing an awful lot of companies that are actually embracing it. And, I, you know, I don't see them going back, at least in full force. I think some of them will, but there'll be quite a few that don't. 
So, Scott, just for clarity here, we're talking about uh, VMware Horizon Cloud integrated with native Azure and native GCP. And, and is GCP and AWS both options, or do you need the, the vSphere layer running on those clouds to make it work? Well, no, no. So, so Azure is definitely it's uh, kind of a unique situation here. So when you're talking about, uh, like, Horizon it's it's actually Horizon uh, Horizon Cloud uh, Horizon Eight on uh, AWS and AVS and GCP and all the other flavors that we have. Uh, we are not leveraging the native hypervisor for the other clouds. Azure is one of the few that we're doing that today. Now there is so when you're talking about say Horizon on uh, VMware Cloud Native US, that's completely different. That's actually sitting on. Uh, VMware's hypervisors, which are installed on bare metal hardware within the AWS platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is Horizon-based. It's Horizon 8 in this case. Uh, it does use the Horizon Cloud Control Plane as a single source, so you can mix uh, you know, Horizon on AWS with Horizon on Azure. But they are definitely... Uh, you know, again, one is using uh, what we call cloud foundation, which is, you know, all the things we know and love, VMware, vSphere, and NSX. And then Azure is using its native Azure uh, hypervisor, which, again, has some serious value there as well, especially for users that are already on Azure. Uh, so, we, we again, we give you the best of both worlds and really choice. You know, where do you want the workload to go and how do you want it to work? So. Okay. All right. Good. Good to know. I'm learning my way through this and getting better every day and more story every day. Well, Scott, I appreciate you jumping on and covering this with me and there'll be more to come where our goal is to do this every week. Is there, you know, are there any topics outside of this that you want to maybe throw out that uh, maybe we'll do at a later date? Uh, I mean, I would love to see app volumes maybe. I mean, there's some exciting things there, especially now that it works both in the cloud non-prem, you know, uh, and, Dynamic uh, Environment Manager, there's a whole bunch of various different components in the platform that we can definitely spend some time on that, you know, really add value to the uh, Horizon stack and, uh, you know, help help those help those customers and, you know, come up with that great end user experience and, again, lower that admin burden as well, so. Right. Yeah, those are some of the things we touched on on the last podcast. Yeah. Not sure that one's made it to the market yet, but we those things come up and we don't go deep into them, but we cover them briefly. And I think we've got uh, another podcast coming up on the, the latest yeah. horizon. So ben. more to come. Fantastic. Sounds good. All right, sir. Well, thank you for joining today and we'll do it again next week. All right. Thank you for listening to On the Horizon with your host, Andy Whiteside. A special thanks to our guests, podcast produced by Pete Downing. For any input or if you want to join our podcast, please email us at info at Zentegra.com. Podcast copyrighted by Zentegra LLC.